0: You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. You're here with Natalie cutler Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And this week, we're focusing on the topic of empowering families, something I'm totally into, something I'm totally obsessed with. And I have a brilliant guest coming up. We're talking to Sue O'Callaghan, and we're talking about when our kids can't cope, and the role of parents in regulating their children's nervous system. Welcome, Sue, to Reality
0: Check Radio. It's so lovely to be here, Natalie. Thank you for inviting me.
1: I'm so glad that we reconnected. I know you and I crossed paths about four or so years ago. You've been doing amazing work. So before we dive into the topic, I would love it if you could give us a bit of backstory. Tell us you know, what brought you to this point of empowering families, uh, specifically around you know, when they can't cope, trauma, etc.?
0: Thank you so much. Great question. So my background is raising children in boarding schools. I taught in schools in Singapore, the UK, Australia and New Zealand. And so as the boarding house mistress, I worked with thousands of teenagers and I kind of realised what worked and what didn't. Following that, I went to work in prisons, where I was teaching restorative justice to in maximum security prisons, mainly to women murderers. And there I looked at offenders and I thought what's gone wrong with the system? Women aren't born as murderers. No one's born as a murderer. What's happened in their life to cause such a devastating consequence to so many people? And became really fascinated by trauma. I then came to New Zealand and set up teenage toolbox in 2013 and that was very much to work with teenagers and parents in that sort of missing gap between children sailing in their own parents' boat where the parents in control and then children hopping to their own sailing boat and and sailing off by themselves and often in the middle they're sort of drowning in the water and nobody knows whether they're in the parent's boat or their own boat when they're independent but they need sort of support and self-care so i then set up teenage toolbox and my passion then was to work with self-harm addiction suicidation adhd um, the highly sensitive child depression anxiety and so on and actually empowering parents and children to navigate that period of time in the water and to give children and parents the support they need. I mean, wow, you're listing off a lot
1: of, um, I would call them, you know, heavy topics. But that is the reality that a lot of parents are living with these days. And for those of you that that haven't met Sue before, she's actually a twice published author, a public speaker and a passionate advocate for mental health, specializing in trauma, stress and anxiety. She Like she mentioned, she founded the Teenage Toolbox back in 2013 Um, and is a highly experienced therapist working one-on-one with parents and teens through all those things that she mentioned, anxiety, depression, emotional distress, ADHD, self-harm addiction. Um, And, you know, as well as offering stress management for corporates and training and workshops. So I love that you cover that span of like the corporates right through to the parents, just who are basically dealing with that day to day. And um, you've worked across um, Sue's worked across schools in the UK, Singapore, and Australia, and New Zealand. So massive experience. I'm so, um, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm really honored actually to have you on the show today to share your extensive experience. And really what I love to do is to give parents tangible strategies or tips they can take on board and apply hopefully into their lives if they're experiencing any of those things
0: today. Absolutely.
1: What is something, and you talked about the sailboat? um, There's so many issues we can talk about, but what is something that you're seeing right now, you know, 2023? What is something that is coming up just all the time for you that parents are coming to you for or that you're just seeing out there in society that you're concerned about?
0: I think the biggest difference for me, if I think back to when I was in my early 20s living in boarding schools and over a period of 15 years moving around the world in boarding schools, we never saw self harm. I think I saw one self-harmer in 12 schools in which I worked and 15 years. Now, the prevalence for parents knocking on my door is desperation to deal with self-harm. Addiction, high prevalence of anxiety, dysregulated emotions. ADHD diagnosis increased probably 50% in the last five years. Highly sensitive children not being managed in the school system. And what it boils down to is children's nervous systems are highly dysregulated. And if I look at the reasons why the difference is so significant in the last 35 years between when I started teaching and now, I would say the use of the Internet, high stress, instant society, access to information that's beyond their years, porn, social media addiction, I would say that they're living in a society where they access information about climate change, global warming, wars, pandemics, floods in New Zealand, earthquakes in New Zealand. And so we're living in a system where we are dysregulating their nervous system into fight and flight the whole time. And the problem then is the natural means that a child has to regulate their nervous system into calm and safe and socially connected. We've removed those strategies as well. So children on their devices, they're not connected. They're not in nature. We've broken down the family units so we don't have the whānau or the tribe regulating those feelings and emotions. So if I was to summarize it, Natalie, I would say it's dysregulated nervous system.
1: Yeah, which is a very, um, you know, it sounds like a, a a fancy word, a fancy way of saying things. But I think when you list off all of those things you just did, um, we understand why, you know, I was going to say to you, why are our kids not coping? But you basically just answered that because how could they cope with all of that going on? the information overload, the fear that is available 24-7. And I also want to talk a little bit more about not just social media addiction, but the porn piece and what impact that has on children in terms of their own personal confidence, but also relationships. So maybe let's go there. Um, You know, if kids are accessing content like that, what are the implications?
0: The implications are dysfunctional relationships. The implications are dopamine addiction. And we know that to regulate the nervous system, there's four chemicals that's needed against the adrenaline and cortisol, which is produced in a fight-flight state. So we've got dopamine, which is the reward chemical. We've got oxytocin, which is the love chemical. We've got serotonin, which is a mood stabilizer. And we've got endorphins, which are painkillers. And children are very naturally seeking these chemicals all the time. Subconsciously, we know pregnant women will seek in food, the very chemicals or the nutrients that they need when they're pregnant. In the same way, children are seeking these chemicals in very unhealthy ways when they're deficient. So, for example, porn addiction is giving children a dopamine fix, as is social media addiction. When somebody gets a like or they've got a response to a post, then they're getting a dopamine fix. It's that reward chemical. And they're getting serotonin mood stabilizers through use of drugs. Um, They're getting cutting, often produces endorphins, which is the pain reliever, and also serotonin mood stabilizers. So, children are being exposed to resources that are bringing calm to the nervous system, but it's also highly destructive, And we see the consequence, usually I work with teenagers and the consequence of porn addiction is um, it's actually harming the brain. The brain's too young to cope with that level of dopamine coming in. They need higher and higher quantities of the dopamine to, to keep getting the fix. And also in terms of having healthy relationships with the opposite sex or same sex They are exposed to images. And I think once you open those eye gates or ear gates, huge destruction is is also done to dysregulate that nervous system back into fight, flight, and freeze mode, even dissociation, ADHD, and so on.
1: And I I think that it it sounds like most of these things, it keeps coming back to the nervous system, which is why you chose it as our focus for today. Um, What can parents do? about it whether whether it be you know that your child is watching porn or your child is super concerned about you know global warming because they keep talking about it or whatever it is because they are in this fight or flight how can we as parents support and empower our children to calm and regulate their nervous system
0: well, i think the first thing is to understand the role of the nervous system the autonomic nervous system which is to naturally dysregulate. So if you're driving down the street in the car and you've got your children, and you're singing a song and you're all laughing in the car and another car shoots in front of you, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to swerve out the way or you're going to jam your foot on the brake. So we need our nervous system to be ready to fight or flight at any moment. And I would say to my teenagers, you're in the room right now, we're having a chat and you're calm and you're talking about what's happened this week. But if a tiger comes racing in the door, You've got two choices. You're going to fight the tiger or you're going to run away from the tiger. But what happens if that tiger is too big to fight and it's going to maul you alive? And what happens if it's too fast for you so you can't run? You've got a third choice, which is to freeze. And to freeze is a really healthy state as well. It means our nervous system is is working very um, competently to protect us from pain. So if a tiger's going to eat us alive. We don't want to feel the pain, so we will shut off our body to experience pain. Or Also, we can possibly pretend that we're dead so the tiger will walk away and not think that we're its next meal. So either of the states are very healthy to shift into. And we would know also that, I mean, when I would put ADHD into the bracket of freeze mode, it's dissociation, it's attention deficit because the exterior world is too overwhelming for a child to survive in. It's when cutting or self-harm comes in. And it's when a the, the child or an adult says, I cannot fight or flight anymore. I'm too exhausted or it doesn't work. So I'm just going to freeze and cut off. So every single state that the this nervous system moves into is a protective, healthy state. And we're meant to dysregulate from one state to another, but we're also meant to regulate back into calm and soothing. So the problem for parents is really to notice when your child can't regulate back into calm and they remain in depression, which is more dissociation and cutting off from the exterior world or more in anxiety, which is the fight flight response, attention deficit. And I work a lot with attention deficit children, and also ADHD. um, Yeah, cutting, self harm, child staying in the bedroom for too long. So the first thing is to recognise that the, the, to dysregulate is a very healthy response for the nervous system. But secondly, what can we do about it? So once we recognised it, then our role as parents is to regulate our children back into the, the healthy system. The most important role we can play is to regulate our own nervous system and how to, and learn how to do it so we're not triggered by their nervous system state. If you think about two magnets, two magnets can either attract each other or they can repel each other. And if our nervous system as parents is dysregulated, we are also going to dysregulate our child's nervous system. If we can learn to regulate our nervous system, and that might mean put ourselves on time out when they're angry, or they're having a tantrum, and come back so that we're calm, we can also regulate the nervous system. And I can teach you a few healthy ways to do that as well.
1: I would love to hear some healthy ways to do that because there will be parents that they, they want to, of course, we want the best for our children. We don't want them to feel, um, to be in any of those states for too long. We do want to empower them to come back to that place of calm. So what are some strategies that we can do? Um, to, I, I love that you mentioned, you know, of course we want to do it for ourselves. Like it's not so much role modeling, it's genuinely doing it for ourselves um, but yeah, if you want to walk us through any specific techniques, my audience loves anything practical like that.
0: Wonderful, great question. Thank you, Natalie. So if you look at a young baby, when the baby cries, the mother will soothe it by stroking its head, or a mother will soothe it by rocking it. So this is called emotional regulation. As a child develops, a healthy attachment and healthy emotional regulation will look like something like your three-year-old runs down the street and they trip over a rock and they burst into tears, they've got a bleeding knee and they're angry at the rock. So instead of picking them up and saying, come on, you'll be absolutely fine. We use this opportunity to teach resilience and to teach them to regulate their own nervous system. So I would say in that situation, a mother or father would pick up the child and self-soothe them. So sit them on the knee, they're rubbing their own leg better they're saying oh it's bleeding and it really hurts come on feel the pain can you feel the pain it hurts so much doesn't it and you're rubbing it better. And what they're hearing then as a teenager is, it hurts. It's painful, but it will get better because they've had their parent do that for them. And then you say, and you're angry. Look at that naughty rock that tripped you over. Come on, can you feel the anger in your body? So you're getting a child to feel that energy in their body that's got to come out. And they say, should we kick the rock, naughty rock? Let's kick the rock. We wouldn't kick a person, but let's kick the rock. And we teach the child to get the anger out of the body. And then we see the child is crying and crying it's really important. The minute we cry, tears release oxytocin, which is a healing chemical. So we want to encourage our children to cry in a healthy way. So we say, and you're sad. Let's cry. Let's cry together. See those tears coming down your chin. And so what we're doing in that situation, Mm. we're teaching our child three different emotions, the pain that we feel and that it will last a period of time, but then it will get better. We're teaching the child to name anger and the and energy in the body, we need to get out of the body. We're teaching the child they feel sad so they can cry. So healthy co-regulation, and co is two people together, is when we're teaching the child what the emotion is, we're naming it and we're teaching them what to do with it. And it might be mindfulness activities, it might be meditation, it might be walking in the woods, it might be walking in the dog, but we're giving children those strategies. So I would say, you know, to get healthy amounts of oxytocin, which is we call the love hormone, it's actually something like walking the dog. It's when the dog greets us when we first come home from school or we see a child is emotionally dysregulated and we'd say, do you fancy taking the dog for a walk? I haven't walked it today, but you know it's going to be a soothing activity for the child. To get a healthy quantity of dopamine, we want to empower the children to complete tasks and exercises. So it's not just sport, it's not just competition, but it's actually learning to do something new and feeling that reward when they achieve something, praising them, encouraging them when they do something. Serotonin is really important for mood stabilizing as well. So we want to teach them how we can actually get those chemicals in our body. So serotonin is very healthy food. You know, it's the bright green and colourful fruit and vegetables. It's meditating, it's swimming, it's spending time in the in, in the sun. It's using sensory modulation. So anything to do with the five senses. So if you've got essential oils, have them in the background. If you can play music in the room, and your children come home from school and they're distressed, then have some calming music in the background. You can think about having textures and shapes and things that they can touch and feel. So anything to do with the senses will calm our children down in the same way that they will be overstimulated by them. I
1: I just was thinking of an example. I have these pillows on our couch and they're the sequin pillows. I love sequins. Mm. So many people will come over and they'll just sit there with the pillow on their knee. These are adults, you know, rubbing because you you push it one way and they go one way and you push the other. Um, I think even that is a simple and super affordable thing that people can buy from like Kmart, you know, one of those pillows and just have it. And, and it's like, uh, cause it kind of is almost like that. It's a rocking technique of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you mentioned that. I also love that you mentioned oils because I'm a big fan. Uh, but I agree the sense,
0: did you call it sensory modulation? Is that the word you use? Yeah, that's the technique we use in trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. So any of the senses, if we activate those in our children, it will bring calm and soothing to them. And I always talk about, I don't know if many of the listeners have watched the film, The Sound of Music, but in there we learn the seven Salfigios, Do, E, Mi, So, La, Ti and Do. And if you play any music with those seven Salfigios in, which is classical music, it's meditative music, they are the seven healing sounds. And interestingly, in the Second World War, the American Navy detuned music by two hertz so they could send the men off to war in rage, um, terror, hatred, anger, so they could fight as opposed to calm, peace, healing, and so on. And so a lot of the children are the music our children's listening to is detuned. So if we put on the sounds which are meditative calming sounds, it's regulating our children again. And if you think about a movie, We all know when a murder is going to happen because of the use of music to stimulate our nervous system into anxiety, fight, flight, and we know something's going to happen. And again, at the end, when something frightening happens, they will use music to calm our nervous system back down. So use of music is very clever in the industry of film and TV. I'm
1: so pleased you mentioned that in one of my upcoming episodes, I actually talk about frequencies and music and I agree, you know, people don't realize the hurts, you know, the frequency and how that can affect your mental health and well-being. And I even Googled the other day, you know, frequency for feeling calm and it literally tells you the frequency and then it gives you an example. And if you just put something like that on the UE boom, you have it playing in the background when the kids come home from school, or even when you're working, you know, just to maintain a calm peace of mind rather than just putting on quote unquote music, because a lot of the lyrics of music are not, not great. Um, I'm just going to go back to the example you gave with the kicking of the rock. And I love that so much because I imagine, you know, I'm a mother of three. My kids are all teen teens and tweens, but I vividly remember those days, for example, dropping one off at kindy, walking home with the other two, one in a stroller, one on a scooter. You know, I can totally see that happening. And I imagine some parents would be like, you're fine. Dust yourself off. You're all good. Like the soldier on mentality. But I loved how you were encouraging us. And other parents would be the opposite. They'd be like, oh no, did you get a boo-boo? Like, look at you. And they'd really, they'd do that, right? There's the two extremes. But what you did was kind of down the middle, but I loved how you're in your example, it was, it was acknowledging, you know, the pain and also acknowledging the emotion of anger and giving them an outlet and talking about, you know, let's get that out of your body. Like even saying those words, because. Yes, releasing the anger from your body. Even as an adult, you know, me as an adult, I've experienced so much anger in the past three years, more than, you know, the 47 years leading up to that point. Um, And for me, learning how to express that in a productive
0: way, but not hold it in, has been really important. It's something we don't learn as kids. Mm-hmm. And I think you've raised something really interesting, which is the two different responses from parents. And one is much more teaching to regulate feelings and emotions by teaching what the those feelings that she are and where they are in the body. And the other one is learning resilience. And parents often come to me and, and the dad might say, well, I just say to my child, brush it off. You're absolutely fine. And my mum might say, no, I want to soothe them. But the role of both parents is really important. We want both. We want that healthy balance. We do want them to pick themselves up. So we want them to hear that voice, which is, you're fine. Um, so it's neither one nor the other. It's a healthy balance of learning resilience, but also at some stage, having an opportunity to teach a child, well, you're feeling really angry right now. So there's no point in trying to meditate and soothe it. What we want to do is get the anger out of the body. So I say to my teen boys and parents, you know, have a punch bag, hang on the deck outside. So you can go and express that anger, go for a run, go to the gym. But if you're feeling sad and you're feeling grief, often you don't want to do Adrenaline producing sport, you want to do something more meditative, you want to do a breathing exercise or some tapping. So it's really understanding what each emotion and feeling needs to be released from the body in a really healthy way.
1: I, that's so important. And we'd love to hear from our audience as well. We'd love to know what, um, techniques you're using for acknowledging emotions, releasing them from the body. What has worked for you? And let us know you can text 2057. You can email inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. Um, and also, you know, what are you seeing in the, at the moment with, with teens and what they're experiencing? Um, coming back to you, Sue, I know we talked at the start, you mentioned about cutting. Um, I don't really have experience in that area. I do know someone in my extended family who experienced that with her children. Um, What can parents do? Because is it a cry for help or is it just one way that they can actually feel the emotions that they're experiencing? I actually don't know. Can you tell us a little bit more about that Um, and also how the parents can support their children so that they don't need to do that?
0: Yeah, thank you for asking that question because it's such An important one to ask today because the prevalence of cutting is so high and I think the immediate response from a parent is terror nobody wants to see their child's cut and the desperation so what I see from parents is you know it's a a healthy response there's a fear response of anger shouting at their child crying themselves the devastation and it's really hard to regulate your nervous system when you see what's happened but I think the most important thing is to understand what cutting is all about and not to be afraid of it so I often see cutters that have been in the system for two, three years. They're hospitalized. Um, Some of them are so bad. And the system hasn't made much difference because the system tries to stop the cutting. Now, what I do is something quite different. I call cutting Clara. And I say to my teenagers, so when you're emotionally really upset, you've got a best friend that comes into your bedroom. Normally, it's a bedroom where the cutting happens. And I say, she's called Clara. So tell me, what does Clara do for you? And they normally say, Clara makes me feel really calm. I feel really peaceful when K- Clara's around. And so when we have a conversation around what Clara gives to the child, we start to understand what their needs are. Then we can start to investigate why they need to feel calm. Quite a lot of children are triggered into cutting because of shouting, screaming and fighting between parents in the house a lot of children also cutting because of relationship splits, bullying at school, not fitting in, and again, not managing that high level of anxiety. So we know cutting is not a cry for help. It's not a cry for attention. It is actually a way for children to get an instant release of endorphins, which is a painkiller. So when the emotions and feelings are too intense, they have absolutely no idea what to do, with them. cutting will release the intensity of those feelings and emotion. And also they can get serotonin, which is a mood stabiliser from it. But when you work with Clara, and you ask her, if you spent one day away from my bedroom a week, what would you need to be able to do that? Then the teenager will tell you. So we start to understand not, not what's wrong with the child, but what's happened to them to cause the cutting. And any survival response, cutting, um, arguments, emotional dysregulation, fights in the household, dissociation, tantrums, sulking, it is a desperate attempt to survive what they're going through. And that's one thing we're doing 24-7, All we're trying to do what 24-7 is survive. And if you think about a newborn baby, if it doesn't survive, it will literally die. So if we don't get our needs met, we're going to die. So when a child is cutting... The intensity of the emotions are suggesting subconsciously you're going to die. And the terror is so increased, they've got to do something straight away to provide that pain relief. So I'd say cutting is not something to be frightened of. It's something to work with. And we work with Clara. And the most important thing to understand for a parent is when Clara turns up in the bedroom, the child's not feeling safe. So we want to improve safety. So I would put a safety plan into place. Who do you feel safe with? What is the safe routine for you? Who are, um, where are safe places you can go? So I would say create a little sanctuary for the child. So we want to actually decorate your bedroom and have a nice bean bag in it and choose some fabrics that you really like. So this is a safe place to go when you're feeling emotionally dysregulated. And again, Clara might spend less time there if it's got some essential oils burning, if there's a pet that can come into the bedroom, if they're allowed maybe to chat to their friends, it's not the healthiest, healthiest thing to be on social media. But if they can go and regulate by talking to their friends, but often the first punishment a child gets when they've done something wrong is to have their phone taken away. And that is the only connection with the outside world, that is only connection with the ability to regulate. So I suggest choosing other strategies other than removing a phone if you've got a cutter, because that is their connection with the world. But again, it's having conversations. But also it's a frightening, I remember when I was in a boarding school and I probably saw one episode of cut- cutting and I was shocked, I was terrified. I had a fear response and that dysregulated my nervous system into being terrified of what to do. And even should I say anything or not? But I think it's creating safety for the child. And it's very frightening for a child to admit they're cutting. It's very normal a child will hide it for a year or two years and then it will come out in an argument but seek help as well parents can seek help before they confront a child and if they seek professional help to understand how to respond to the child it's really important as well so the parent gets support through the cutting as well
1: i think what you just shared with us is so is going to be so powerful for some parents because it's stuff that you just know it's like you just know it so well we have no idea like the 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 piece about you know the cell phone and um, making their room a safe place, those are some really helpful things. My next question around that, and then we'll move on, is so if a parent is sees something or they suspect, should they address the child or what is the best way to do it in a way that doesn't make things worse?
0: The most important thing is that the child, because they're unsafe, if there's discovery, the child needs to be heard. So if a child says I'm cutting because, the most important thing is to hear the child. And the children often come to me and say, but my parents don't hear me. They don't understand. And the parents will come back and say, well, I do understand. I said, I understood why you're so upset because you split with your boyfriend. Because I remember splitting with my boyfriend at your age. And I remember how painful it was. And I say to a parent, that's not hearing a child. What it means to create safety to hear a child is to repeat back to the child what they've said without bringing your viewer into it, your opinion into it, your experience into it. So if a child says, I'm cutting because I'm just so unhappy and I feel depressed and I don't feel I fit in at school, I hate school. All you do is say to your child, I hear you're cutting because you don't feel as though you fit in at school, you're feeling anxious and feeling overwhelmed. Is that right? And you ask them the question, is that Right they can come back to you and say no you've got it all wrong you didn't hear me and then you repeat it again is that right having repeated it second time and then when the child feels heard that's half the battle because Clara not only soothes a child but also hears validates and sees the child when nobody else does so we want to do that so the most important Um, strategy to use is to have a healthy conversation just to hear without an opinion, without a view. Regulate yourself elsewhere, go for a walk, go for a run, go and see a therapist yourself, but come back and have a soothing, calming conversation. And you could ask your child, is there anything that I can give you that you're not getting at the moment?
1: And that that is a powerful question because it's very open. It's not, you know, tell me what's wrong and da, da, da. And not coming in with a solution, it's just, is there anything I can do that you're not getting at the moment? So good. Um, what else would you love to share? I'm going to go in a moment to the questions I ask all my guests, but is there anything else that you, that's that you've got on your mind that you want to share with us today around our topic, which of course is when our kids can't cope the role of parents in regulating their children's nervous system?
0: Yes, I think it's, To imagine that your child has got a bucket, as do you, and inside that bucket, every single day, people are putting stressful situations into it, and your anxiety bucket's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And there's two things we can do. One is to daily reduce that bucket down, so we get our child's bucket of anxiety down and down and down. And the second thing is, if the anxiety is full and we haven't managed to do that for them, what do we do? when the bucket boils over and all the emotions and feelings come out and then there's a panic attack and lots of children are having anxiety attacks. So when children come to see me with anxiety attacks, I I teach them how to daily do exercises to bring their anxiety levels down. And then it would be a strategy, which is to use breathing if they're actually having a panic attack. Now, if somebody said to you, hey, Natalie, there's a tiger that's about to rush in your door and I want you to do a breathing exercise, you'd probably say, I'm not going to do a breathing exercise. I'm actually just going to run or fight the tiger or I'm going to freeze. There's no way you can expect me to sit there and say, hang on, tiger, I'm just going to breathe. It doesn't make a difference. But if we teach a child to do breathing exercises daily, when they're not in a panic situation, then they are going to bring the anxiety levels down and they're going to manage to actually regulate their feelings and emotions. So, breathing exercise, a really good breathing exercise is 478, and it would be to breathe in for four seconds. So, we count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. We hold for seven seconds, and then we breathe out over eight seconds. It's really important we breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. So, I say, smell the roses when you're breathing in, and blow out the candles when you're breathing out. So, 478 is really easy to remember. So, when I see Children and I can see their somatic body is responding with panic or fidgetation. I say, come on, let's do some four, seven, eight. So it's a really good time to prevent a panic attack. The most important thing also to understand is when someone's having a panic attack, is that the heart rate has increased. The muscles are responding to fighting or running away. So they've got increased energy in the muscles. The pupils are dilating, the prefrontal cortex is shut down, so they can't think logically about what to do. And the stomach will have no oxygen. It doesn't. We don't need to digest food when we're in the panic state. So what we want to do is quickly bring the heart rate down as fast as we can. So if we can keep the heart rate down generally by doing four seven eights or box breathings, many breathing techniques online, and you can sit your children in front of some YouTube talks on breathing and get them to practice as well. Then we can start to introduce safety and calm to the nervous system. But it's really breathing is the quickest way to get a child to come back to calm. And if they're in a stressful situation in school and they've just been told there's going to be a test tomorrow or they're going to speak on stage tomorrow, and that's their one terror and fear, then they can sit at school at the desk and do four, seven, eight straight away to bring their nervous system down to calm. So we want to give them the tools to do it for themselves.
1: I I totally agree. And it's empowering them, it's equipping them with some. skills and strategies they can do when they are calm so that when they're not calm, they can draw on them. You know, my kids always tease me because I'm, I, I always have to make up little rhymes and things like that to remember things. And I, so I just wrote down roses and candles. Um, So, <laughs> so I, I mean, four, seven, eight. Yes. But I would probably, I'm not good with numbers. I would be like three, seven, two. Like, I can't remember the numbers. I can remember roses and candles. So for me, it would be like, what did she say? Oh, that's right. Roses and candles. <laughs> Smell the roses, blow the candles. Got it. Got it. Um, so helpful. And we do love those practical strategies. Uh, for, those of you, for, for those of you that are longtime listeners, or maybe you're new, we've got a whole ton of replays. And we did talk a, a few times about different strategies. So you can check those out on uh, realitycheck.radio slash replays. Um, and this one, of course, will become a, a replay. So if you're listening to the replay, you can um, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear if you're using the roses and candles technique, either for yourself or for your kids. All right, Sue, so I'm going to go to the questions that I ask all my lovely guests. Number one, up your brave. What is one time in the last year where you have truly upped your brave, either something you've done, achieved, or navigated through?
0: I think it's um, I put myself through post grad study, and it was so hard for me to work full time, have a family, and study. And I put myself through Dr. Gebel trauma course in America. So it's online training. And um, there was a lot of diets and triads and doing practical exercises, doing the workshops, getting the assignments done. And I got to halfway through the year and I thought I can't do it. I actually can't work every evening and every week, weekend, as well as manage to regulate my nervous system by doing some healthy self-soothing exercises and sport. But I actually managed to get through it and I was so proud of myself because it was a very demanding year for me. But it's made such a significant difference to my clients and to my work. So I'm, I'm really grateful I did it. That's huge. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. What is one thing that you've got on your bucket list, which is something you'd love to do,
0: be, or experience in your lifetime, and we can possibly help you with that? I love that question. It's all about personal growth, isn't it? And expanding and stretching. And I'm all into positive psychology, which is, you know, what do you want to do? Where's the hope? Where's the joy? And my word for this this year was be a joy seeker. If you have to seek two things, would you seek the depression and, and the hopelessness and the worthlessness? Or would you look for the joy so it's to be a joy seeker? And I think my one thing would be I'm doing more and more public speaking, um, running parenting workshops, doing teacher training in schools, introducing trauma-informed programs into the corporate world. And it would be to travel more with my work. So I'm going to the UK in the month of August. Would love to have some openings over there. Um, so wherever you are, if you feel as though you would like to have some parenting workshops, even if it's online, do a lot online as well, then you know when to contact me. Well, that's amazing. You are a very busy lady. I
1: know you're very in demand and you just have this burning desire like I do to help people. And it's great that you're able to do that. Um, So for those of you out there that have connections, maybe in the UK, um, you know what, looking up on LinkedIn, people that are in LinkedIn, thats a great way to tell people that you're going to be in the UK and you've got a few openings for doing some workshops. Uh, But also, of course, here in New Zealand, sadly, there's no shortage of people that are actually really in need of your help at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty desperate market.
1: Yeah. What else? What have you got coming up? You know, let's say in the next six months. So you're going to the
0: UK. What else have you got coming up? And how can people connect with you online and reach out? So my contact website is teenagetoolbox.com. So dub 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 dot teenagetoolbox.com, and my email is teenagetoolbox@gmail.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn under Sue O'Callaghan. At the moment, I'm concentrating on developing um, talks internationally. So I am. Um, also working as a trauma therapist so if you're interested in seeking help then just contact me we can do one on one trauma therapy online i work in australia and america um, england and germany so we have zoom calls all around the world so if you want some support then you can contact me on there
1: and i think it's amazing how you also work with teachers because teachers are really having to deal with a lot of stuff that maybe 10 years ago they never really saw you know coming across their desk coming into their classroom And they're already very stretched and not paid enough and all those things. So that's amazing that you're able to kind of help them to upskill or at least be empowered to handle some of these situations.
0: Yeah, it's a very frightening situation for teachers to be in. I was a teacher for many years, and I think teachers nowadays are also understanding they need to be the counselor. They can't just send the children to the counselor. The counselors are in high demand. But also the role, they have a really significant, very vital, important role in the classroom because often it's the only place some children feel safe. And because of a safe routine, safe structure, there's a kind face as well. The biggest tip I would say to te- to teachers is when you have ADHD children, they're often the children that get shouted at for not concentrating and not paying attention in class. They are attention deficiting because the place they go to in their mind is the healthy, safe place to go to. So one strategy tip teachers love is when they when I teach them to say, look, you're so welcome to go to that safe place. When you have finished in that safe place, we are here waiting for you and you're so welcome to come back into the classroom. And if you'd like to chat to me afterwards, I'm always available to chat to you. But help the children understand it's a really safe place they go to. It's not somewhere unsafe. It's not that they're disobedient or not paying attention. It is a safe place to go where they need to go. And if you welcome them back, they spend less time going there because they feel safe. So brilliant. That languaging and the acknowledgement
1: is empowering for both the teacher and the child. Hey, before we wrap things up, Sue, is there anything else you'd love to share with our audience on today's topic?
0: Look, I think it's a really heavy topic, but it's one that's obviously so prevalent today. And I think if you understand that as a parent, it's easy to feel guilty when you look back at some of the things you said or done, and it might be triggering on this session today, thinking, well, I don't regulate my child's emotional system and I haven't done that. And I'm always triggered myself. Actually, as parents, you're just doing the best you can. And that's all we can do as parents. All you can do is be a good enough parent. And often parents come to see me to say, can you help my teenager? And it's often the parents that need support and help themselves to realize they're doing a good job and to pick up some tools and techniques. So go to some parenting classes. There's so much information online. But also realize you're just doing the best you can in the situation that you're in. And well done. Pat yourself on the back and say congratulations that you've done such a great job. Give yourself some self-love yourself. Oh, that's so good. That's such a lovely
1: note to end on. And we really are. We're empowering families, but we're empowering the parents and empowering the kids. And you've given us some really, really good tangible strategies today. So thank you so
0: much for joining us. So great to be here. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks, Sue. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio.